what is going on everybody welcome to the then and now sports podcast we got james and nick back here with another episode we are coming to you live on a wednesday night and wow nick, we were hit with some crazy football games this weekend both on the college and nfl side of things absolutely crazy and the rankings the newly released college football rankings just make it even crazier very good week for football so we have to start with what was you know one of those games of the century that was supposed to be the supposed to be the one versus two but the committee threw in a wrench to that when they could rank them two versus three but they gave a great performance nonetheless lsu and alabama and i know everyone's gonna talk about joe burrow and deservedly so he's been on a ridiculous tear i think it's almost insane to say he's not the Heisman. All he has- of my praise on this podcast has paid <laughs> off. I'm taking responsibility. Oh, oh, you are taking responsibility. For a this. little bit. Like, you know, J- Jerbo- Joe Burrow hit me up with a text after the game. Uh, you know, he was like, thank, thank, thank you, you for th- all your support. Thanks yeah. for the support, bro. We see you. I mean, Go. nah, but seriously, almost 400 yards, 393 three touchdowns ran for 64 and like i feel like the running plays he made were just clutch he didn't yeah, really the make big runs the but the biggest plays were him on his feet and just making big third down conversions but so what what are your takes from this game well i think my takeaways from this game are that like you said Joe Burrow is the Heisman i think this LSU team is just surging with talent and I really can't see a team that stops them the rest of the way maybe Georgia when they get to the SEC championship game but even then I I see LSU winning that game probably so yeah I think LSU is is I I don't want to say a guarantee for the playoff but as close as a guarantee you can get in college football for the playoff and they're my number one team in the nation glad the committee like sees them the same way and yeah they're just a fun team to watch and i can't wait to keep watching them moving forward so on the bama side because i'm gonna get to lsu in a minute but i think alabama i mean you go through that stretch where two of those the pick late in the second quarter and then lsu just capitalizes and that's pretty much the difference of the game the fact that lsu was able to go up 33 13 at the end of the half i mean no one was expecting that score. Now, give Alabama credit. They stormed back in the second half, and they were within seven points on two different occasions. Three different occasions, if you want to count the, the final score, which, how about that 85-yard touchdown pass from Tua? Just an absolute bomb. And listen, I, I know Joe Burrow gets all the, the praise, and he's going to be the highest man, and deservedly so, but Tua was great in this game. And you know what? Bat- I got I got to give him credit. It was a gritty performance because it looked like he might not even play this week. He's a game time decision yeah. this week. So he really came back for this game not at 100%. And, and there were times where you could see that. Yeah, you, there were times issue. you could see that when he didn't want to run with the ball. He knew that his his ankle wasn't in perfect shape and he wanted to avoid any unnecessary injuries, which is fine. But obviously LSU had more of the energy, more freshness to give in, t- in this game. And that's that's one of the deciding factors, even though I think LSU played a better game overall. 
I mean, it showed at times, but I mean, there were other times where you couldn't notice, like that touchdown pass to Najee Harris, where if you look at when Tua threw the ball, Najee Harris was not open at all. He had the defender right in his face. There was no separation, but Tua literally throws him open. He throws a perfect back shoulder pass up and away where the defender can't get it. And that's the kind of NFL throws that you're going to see from Tua from the end of the season to when he gets drafted in the NFL. I think Tua is a legit NFL prospect. I still think I would take him over Burrow if I'm doing an NFL draft. But I mean, if I'm talking about the Heisman for the 2019 season, it's Joe Burrow. And there are so many wins now that he has to look towards. And the fact that he's been probably the biggest part of all of these wins. But another guy who's been almost as big of a part and has to I, I, I he's obviously been getting some of his due this week after a big performance but Clyde Edwards Hilaire pulled off another great performance he goes for 103 yards and three touchdowns and then adding four touchdowns actually because he had a receiving touchdown and you know he's been probably the second best play, offensive player for LSU this season. Now they have a great receiving core as well. Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, to name a few. But I mean, this running back is showing that he's NFL worthy. He plays, he's physical, he's fast. I mean, he is a really big part of why LSU has won all these games and won them. Maybe not convince like dominant fashion, but convincing fashion. Like they haven't been blowing teams out, but they have in every game you left the feeling with the feeling that LSU is the better team. And I think it goes to show that with the defense, Grant Delpit leading that charge, and then guys like Burrow and Edward Talaire on the offensive side. I completely agree. I think you summed up LSU's season very well. And this LSU defense that's been criticized at points this year really did do a lot to, to hinder Tua and the Alabama offense in, in the first half. The run game was almost non-existent. They had Tua looking a little foolish at times, which is hard to do. So hats off to them as well. So we'll get into how it affects the playoff race, but we have to get into another game that really shaked up things in the college football landscape, the team that was ranked number four going into this game, Penn State, over Clemson, which I I thought was crazy. And I was kind of vindicated through this game because Penn State comes out and it's kind of another thing. It was tail of two halves in the first half. They, they're down 24-13 and they end up only losing by five. So they played a better second half than Minnesota did, but it was a little too much too late, just like in Alabama's case. But... Yeah, a tough performance by Penn State going into Minnesota. It's de- I think they knew it was going to be a tough environment just because Minnesota hasn't had this kind of publicity and college football success in recent years. So the fans definitely came prepared for this game. But, you know, Sean Clifford doesn't have his best stuff. I feel like on that last drive, he, he did have, make some really good passes until the interception in the end zone, which was just... Didn't look like he was on target with that one. And just like that, Penn State shows up number four. And now it seems like their playoff dreams are kind of dashed. So what did you think about this game? Well, I was very, very impressed by Minnesota in this game. Like you said, they got off to an early lead. 
And this is a program that's not that's not necessarily equipped with the success of, say, even a Penn State or uh, an Alabama or uh, a program of that caliber. So for the way they hand and they also don't have like elite talent either. And I think that's that's a credit to PJ Fleck, who has been doing a tremendous job there in Minnesota. Just signed him to an extension to make sure he doesn't go anywhere for the next few years. So. Yeah, hats off to him, and I think they just played a solid game overall. The defense was was very strong in the first half. Obviously wavered in the second half, but that was Penn State making some adjustments of their own. Sean Clifford coming back, he's he's a great QB, and he he was doing what he needed to do to get his team back into that game. And But when I look at this team, I see a team that was doing what they needed to do at the most important points of the game. Obviously that interception was huge. Um, you just look at the other big moments of these, of this game and they just stand strong and they stand pat and they come up with the big play that they needed. And I think that's going to be a very important quality going into some of these next few games against Iowa and, and Wisconsin. And Minnesota is very much alive in this playoff picture. They're ranked seven for a reason. And if the right sequence of events goes their way, they might find themselves in the playoff, man. I'm not I'm not sleeping on this team. Well, someone who I'm not sleeping on. How about Tanner Morgan, who completed 90% of his passes? I mean, granted, only on 20 attempts, but I mean, 18 for 20, three touchdowns, 339 yards. I mean, he was he was slinging it in this game. He had the 66-yard touchdown pass early on and a couple other big chunk plays that really helped those stats. But, I mean, he's been pretty steady throughout this entire season. He Over season now, he's completed 67% of his passes, 2,100 yards, 21 touchdowns of four picks, 191 passer rating. I mean, I don't know. I think this quarterback has shown that he's been a big part of why Minnesota is where they are. Obviously, you brought up P.J. Fleck. He's doing a great job there, but... This Minnesota team is really popped out of nowhere, and now they're they. I wouldn't say they're in the driver's seat for a playoff spot, but I mean, they're firmly in the debate. You're number eight now, and you're still undefeated. And oh yeah, there's seven have, and eight people eight in the official rankings. I forgot that that was a mistake I made. My bad. But their best games are going to be ahead of them, or they're going to have to be ahead of them because. You know, they've beaten up on some pretty bad teams, but, you know, the Rutgers, the the Maryland's of the Big Ten Conference, but now they're going to play Iowa, they're going to play Wisconsin, and if they get past those two teams, they'll play Ohio State. So now I guess it's time to get into the rankings, right? Our, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready Our friends this. from the College Football Playoff Committee came out with their rankings, and this Alabama team, man, always lingering, right? They can't just take their loss and, like, go to, like, eight or nine or something like that. Granted, not that they should have. I mean, they lost to LSU. I was honestly... That number one team. I was honestly expecting they were good before. That's not even a joke. Really? Yep. I I thought that would have been just ridiculous if they were number four. I mean, but, I don't think it's ridiculous. Like, I think it's... The argument can definitely be made for them at number four. It's all about what you value, right? So 
I'm the guy who probably values the wins more. Like, who have you beaten? Where are your quality wins at? And Alabama doesn't have those. Georgia has wins over Notre Dame and that wins over Florida. So I'm going to take Georgia in that short term. But I mean, I could also see the point where, hey, they also lost to South Carolina. Alabama just lost to the number one team and by a short margin as well. So I can understand why people would want Bama four, maybe. I didn't I want Bama four. Like, I, I, I don't care that Bama's five, but like. I no, I understand the argument for Georgia too because if you look at the wins, it's just, it's just like sometimes it seems a little like flip floppy when it comes to what the committee decides what they value most. I don't know if I'm the only one in that regard, and it's well, t- it's tough to be consistent because there are so many factors you have to take into account when evaluating these teams. So I definitely understand why they do that but like when you have such a mixture of varying factors and you're looking at what you value most some weeks you might turn up with the loss means more or some other weeks it seems like the wins mean more so that's that's where I kind of get lost and you never know the committee's mindset when it comes to those decisions if that makes sense no, well, the problem is that it changes. Not, I don't know if it changes every year, but it definitely changes every couple of years. I think it so changes co- weekly because, like, some of the rankings, like, no, no, no. I'm saying the people inside the committee. Oh, okay. Change. I thought you like, meant like the like, process. They, no, no. I mean, maybe the process changes. Who knows? Because we're not in that room. But I feel the people we know are different from. I know from the first season, like they had Condoleezza Rice in there at one point. There's a bunch of different people that they cycle in, a lot of different athletic directors, a lot of different former coaches, media members, whatever. But it's I feel like it, it is a little bit inconsistent because they're just not a stable committee, I guess, to say. I guess they probably should have decided to keep that first committee together and use that logic going forward. But yeah, people value different things now. And we were talking about it before, but man, this race for the fourth seed is going to get insane because if Georgia loses to LSU, all hell breaks loose. And I mean, you could even argue if Georgia beats LSU, like people are going to argue, Hey, should LSU get it now? But I mean, I think LSU could survive a loss to Georgia pretty easily. Yeah. I, still did, I agree. I agree. Cause they just have too many wins, too many quality wins yep. to bounce them. But there would still be a debate. Like, should we take them out? They're not a conference champion, blah, blah, blah. But, if Georgia loses, which is the more... Well, I mean, we still have to let Georgia beat Auburn this week, which isn't an easy game by any stretch. We're, we definitely are getting ahead of ourselves here, but we were just talking about... How about a Pac-12 one-loss championship champion versus a one-loss Alabama versus a one-loss Minnesota versus a Big 12 champion? That's maybe Oklahoma, who runs the table after the loss against Kansas State who shows that they have the best offense in college football. It's like, there's going to be so many teams with a legit claim to that fourth spot. And if, if losses don't start shaking up over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a lot of crazy debates coming in our way. Yeah. And like, despite some of the, like the crazy, like theories we've thrown out on this podcast before, like, I think the difference here is like this is a very plausible scenario. This isn't something that like we we're just drawing up. Like Minnesota could legitimately go into the end of the season with like one 
like um reasonable loss to Ohio State. Uh, Alabama couldn't win out. That's 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 almost a foregone conclusion at this point. And you know, Oregon winning the Pac-12 is definitely in the realm of possibility. And Baylor going undefeated is a little bit of, of a stretch, but a one-loss Oklahoma is definitely also possible. So this isn't like this is very real. This is a scenario that could 100% happen. It's not even it's not even a debate whether this is possible or not. This is definitely possible. It's just a matter in this crazy college football world all that lines up this way. And then of course you have to factor in two loss Michigan into these these playoff hopes is no you don't you know, no you they're don't. gonna no you excuse don't. me no no well no I was just gonna get into how when Michigan beats Ohio State no no they're gonna be able to have a pretty strong stake to I'm play. sorry Jim it's not happening wow you, you hate to see it but no in all seriousness I mean I want to ask you if say I'm putting you in the committee right. What exactly are you valuing more? Are you valuing a team like Oregon or Oklahoma or Utah that wins their conference and only has one loss, which ends up being a somewhat of a close loss? Or are you valuing a team like Alabama or Minnesota, a team that maybe didn't doesn't win their conference championship but plays strongly enough to have that, you know, say hey that ability to say, hey, maybe we didn't win our conference championship, but if you want to use the eye test, look no further. And to be fair, I mean, I, if, cause we had a pretty heavy debate about it before, but I, I don't think Minnesota compares to Alabama in the eye test, but they could, if things go their way. But I mean, if, if they finish strong, finish undefeated and then lose a close one to Ohio state, I think they would definitely factor into the eye test, but not to get too convoluted here. What do you value more eye tests or a, conf- a proven conference champion winner? Um, I would, I would prioritize the resume every time because that's, because I feel like the eye test is, is a little more shaky. Wow. So you took option C that wasn't even S. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because like if, if a conference champion is plays it like the PAC 12 isn't a particularly strong conference. If, if Oregon doesn't beat anyone and they win the conference and their only strong win is to Utah. I gotta look at teams like Minnesota. I gotta look at teams like Alabama, who have beaten these teams, especially in Alabama's case, because they beat the only te- they would have beaten the only team that beat Oregon. So yeah, I definitely have to look at the resume first. I think it is the most concrete way you can judge uh judge these teams. It, it's it's the most factual. Like you could say this team beat this team. This team is that good, so this win matters more. And when you go go into the eye test, I would I would prioritize the eye test when things are so close. Like when you have a close race for that final spot, then the eye test can come into play. But here's the thing: I don't know if it's that close. If Minnesota wins out the rest of their games and loses a close one to Ohio State because they're going to have three top 25 wins, one against the top 10 team and a Wisconsin team that got very high acclaim early in the season. And on Alabama's side, you're going to have Auburn. That's it. And they're going to both have losses to what we assume to be 
the the top two teams in the country at that time. So I just really don't see. I, I feel like the resume would have to take Paramount in that case because it's just such a noticeable gap. If it was really, really close, I would take Alabama in that situation. But the debate is just going to be crazy because there's so many factors that people can argue and certain people can hold the eye test in higher esteem like like maybe you do. And that's going to be their main factor in judging an Alabama over a Minnesota. And it's just going to be absolute insanity. Well, I'm going to use a different uh, different example here. How about a team like Oklahoma? who averages 587 yards of offense a game and have proven to be more likely than not, I guess you could argue LSU and Alabama with them, but I think Oklahoma throughout the whole portion of the year has proven they're probably the best offense in college football. So am I, I know they haven't played the best teams, but am I willing to keep out a team that has proven week in and week out to be the best offense in college football? I don't know. So that's where I think I test. I mean, I guess you I, like what I mean by I test, like I factor in stats to the eye test. I think that's very important. But obviously, when you're watching the, the, the game and the production, that's a result of stat. That's where the, where the stats come from, the production on the field. So a team like Oklahoma, who averages almost 600 yards a game on offense and Jalen Hurts, who was in the middle of a Heisman campaign. But I, I guess that that train like lost a little bit of steam with the Kansas State loss and the the almost losing to blowing a 20 plus point lead to Iowa State doesn't help either but this Oklahoma team has proven that they probably have the best offense in college football and are you willing to keep them out over a conference champion or a team that just has better wins than them I don't know well I feel like like what you're saying is also dependent on the teams they're playing you could put up that kind of those kind of numbers because the teams you're playing don't have very good defenses and that's when you look at the quality wins and I feel like I feel like no matter what you look at it has to go back to the teams they're playing and the performance they they put up and and when you're talking about performances I just think if you don't take into account the teams they're playing and you prioritize like just saying this team is is that good because they're just they're just putting up these amount of stats. These amount of stats. It's just it's just ignoring a large part of the context and ignoring the most concrete part of the context that you have, which is how good these teams are compared to each other. Well, I'm not saying to ignore it. I'm definitely not trying to say like oh, only use what you see on the field and like the resume should ab- absolutely factor into it. As should conference championship win uh, that title. But I think I the I test probably at the end of the day is the reason why we have a four-team committee a four-team playoff with a committee that has human people instead of the computer-based polls so i feel like the eye test has to be a factor and you have to know that hey like maybe they didn't beat the best of the best but i'm sure that you know in the games that they did like it's not like oklahoma's only beaten scrubs it's not like alabama's only beaten scrubs like we've seen these teams in games against, you know, solid competition, at least solid to good competition, and they've played very well in them. But so you're acting like hum like human um judges are not subject to faults themselves. Oh, of saying, course they are. Yeah, and, yeah. And listen, it'll always be an imperfect system, no matter what you do. 
with especially with four teams, it's going to be imperfect. Yeah, but I think. But I think even in an imperfect system, you got to make sure it's the most concrete. Like and and that involves a mixture that that involves a mixture between the um the eye test and the and you know statistics and looking at wins and strength of schedule and and all of that stuff. But when it, does it become like a a subject of bias that when you're looking at a team like Minnesota and you see they beat all these teams, but you're still willing to give Alabama the nod? Because you see all these names you recognize and you just recognize the tradition behind that program. And that leads you to put them in a spot over Minnesota. That just seems like it's not really taking into account what's what's in front of you. Instead, taking into account what you already perceive to be in college football. Well, it's always going to be a combination of all those factors. These are not this is. I think what it when it comes down to is when you're looking at the four, five, and six, right? The teams that you have to like, you literally have to split hairs. You can't just say, "Oh, they're all really good," but this has this. But like, you literally have to go like, "Hey, did this team win the conference? Hey, did this team beat good teams? How do they rank compared to other teams?" So it really is a combination of all of those, and it's like once you get into that four, five, six, seven range. And then at the end of the day, it's like, what do you prefer more? It's because like everyone has different opinions on this. Some people view the stats more better. You view the resume better. Some will say, hey, if the team wins the conference champion, they should automatically be in. But th- that's why we have this debate, and that's why we have the committee. And like we said, it's really only going to get crazier. This week, Georgia plays Auburn, and then we we talked about this before. What if Georgia beats Auburn on the road? Do they? go above Clemson now? Does Clemson have to take another backseat despite being 10-0? They might be 11-0 after this weekend? And they're going to be 4? It's going to remind me, remember that when they did the first year in Florida State, they came out in the first rankings. I'm pretty sure they were 4 in the first year and they were undefeated. And I think they finished 3rd, even though they finished the whole season undefeated. So, Yeah, it's, I guess it, it's, it, crazy. it's a bit of an ACC bias maybe. Like I think I think now we have more of a grasp on it than we did back then. Like we I think the the playoff forced us to evaluate things more fairly. I think that's that's the best that's the best outcome out of implementing this system because now you have to look at teams like Clemson and despite what you think of the conference, you have to recognize that they're undefeated and they're winning the games dominantly. And then on the other side, like it, like you said, like we've already established, it, it's it's made us consider the whole combination of what's going on. It it hasn't it hasn't made us like look at an SEC team as an inherently better team as another team. And sometimes that's up for debate because you know Alabama's gotten some <laughs> some suspect you know Steakins over time, but. You know, I think it's really made us look at these teams as their own teams instead of part of a conference or part of like something that we generalize. And now we can look at each of these teams and judge them based on their own merits and what they've done and their accomplishments. And I think that's just overall more fair than what we previously had. Listen, I said this to you before the podcast and I will say this on the podcast. If Alabama 
goes into championship weekend and they do not have a game and they're still at that fifth or sixth spot, you will see Nick Saban on SportsCenter that night campaigning. And that's what I love Classic. about these, these, these coaches. Because like Saban did it a couple of years ago and it worked. And then Kirby Smart did it last year and it didn't work. Because he, I mean, he did it after losing. Do you know what they should do? Do you know what they should do? They, do? they should have like all the coaches side by side arguing with each other. <laughs> with each other, yes, yes, yes. yes that, that would be great. Need. That's what we need. That is, a, please do that, ESPN. Please, because I mean, at the end of the day, these this is what the coaches need to do. They need to plead their case. Because at the end of the day, it's not like they're talking to computers. Like all of the committee will be watching sports out of that night. So, or at least some of them will be, or will, they'll heard what he said. So you want to campaign it's like it's like some political race kind of thing like you have to campaign your yeah, way no, no. let's get them on a presidential debate stage on selection night and it's going to be nick saban dj flag yeah pj yes. flag and lincoln <laughs> riley they're just going to be chilling on the debate stage and you get an hour to just make your case for your team i would pay money for that let's get it going so uh, it's gonna happen like i'm telling you saban's gonna be on the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center, I promise you. Saturday night, just keep an eye out for it. If Bama, does, that's granted if like LSU doesn't trip up and or something terrible happens. I mean, wow, that's crazy. LSU would have to lose two games for Alabama to want play the SEC championship. That's pretty much impossible at this point. But now we're going to transition from college into this team from Oakland. Wow. That, Kinda, I, I guess, almost forgot. professionally. Oh, you almost forgot. Wow. No, I, I'm, it's, it's I'm not pretty, getting it now. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped. I mean, now. no, like, because I, I know how much you hate the city of Oakland. So when you said, if I said Vegas, you would have been like, oh, my Raiders. But you know, <laughs> you're, you're just a Oakland hater at this point. But hey, your team shows up in a gritty performance. That's that's how I would like say you guys played from this game. Because it wasn't perfect. Like, no, it's never perfect. Not with this In the team. first quarter, you guys got blessed with two interceptions. And the offense didn't really do much with it. The offense was pretty stagnant. The offense didn't score their first touchdown until late in the second half. With and, a spider two wide banana, might I add. Wow. Yeah, I know my stuff, the, you know. The, like, the, Gru- the Gruden flex, that's what that is. That is a Gruden flex. And that was the but, first time you ran it all year. I was sure TD. The more you know. You know what I will say, though? Like, before we get into the game, the Raiders' offense is very good. If you look at it, like, statistically. Offensive DVOA, they are top five in the league. And that's, like, pretty much a production-based stat that, you know, goes play-by-play and adjusts for fumbles and all that kind of stuff. Stadium, weather, all that stuff. And they're fifth in it. And... They, they're ranking up there with teams like Seattle and Baltimore. They're, Kansas City's pretty far ahead of them, but what do you got to say about this Oakland offense, and how have they kept you guys in the season, and who has been keeping you guys in the season through this offense? Um, like It's just been an all-around effort, and it's crazy to me to see people discredit Derek Carr, even after that win, because like it's just crazy the amount of hate the guy gets because he played a very smart game as a QB. He did what he needed to do, and that's basically been his season. He has four touchdowns, four TD. I mean, four touchdowns, four ints. He has been very 
he he can get conservative at times, but he's been he's been very um he's been very safe with the football. He's been very reliable, and he gets the ball where he needs to go. And now, as the season goes on, you're just seeing new new players step up in these roles on offense, and it really I really appreciate seeing that. Um, Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs is the notable one that we need to talk about. He's been splendid all year. And as the season is goes goes on, he, he just looks better and better. And he's a core part of this offense. I think it takes a weight off of Derek Carr having such a great back behind him and l- allowing to lean on that run, that run game a little bit with um the three headed monster in Josh Jacobs, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington. Now, you got to mention Darren Waller, but as Darren Waller, as the season has progressed, Darren Waller's been less of a factor, but other players have stepped up. And that's what I love about this. Last three games, Hunter Renfro has been on fire. Um, Very reliable in clutch moments. And he's just had some great catches over the past few games. And you, you love to see that. And beyond that, you, you got you to gotta compliment the um, play calling by John Gruden. He's found a way to get everybody involved and adjust on a weekly basis to make sure they have the best game plan against whatever team they play. And he's very creative. Even in his older age, he's still very innovative. And I think he's doing a great job. And he's at least a coach of the year candidate. A candidate. Wow. wow. Not, not the winner, but a candidate. What I would say is I love how Oakland spreads the ball out. And they, there's not one dominant receiver on this team. Pretty much everyone in this game ended up with three to four catches. And I think that's a really good fundamental key to success to be able to spread the ball out and not... Ha- Obviously, if you could have a guy like Julio Jones, you know, running through everyone, you would do it. But not a team like the Raiders doesn't really have that luxury. They don't have a guy like Antonio Brown. Uh, if they could get a guy like that, though, that would be a, a really nice addition. But, you know, it's a good system in terms of being able to get the ball in different, a bunch of different people's hands. And Josh Jacobs has been outstanding this year. And you keep a guy like him, he'll be probably the guy on the offense you build around. And you just got to go out and get another playmaking receiver. Now, we got to get into this Chargers team a little bit. Philip Rivers did not have his stuff in this game. That final drive, and I know everyone's talked about it, everyone's beaten the nail into the, hand, uh, to the board, but he was so bad on that drive. And that is not the Philip Rivers we, we come to see. He was overthrowing. First of all, he was throwing bombs on like every play. And, you know, all they needed was field goal to win this game. So instead of just, you know, a slow and steady drive, they were hammering the ball. They deep shots all the time. And I guess they were trying to get penalties, which the Raiders, you know, that secondary is still a problem. I will say, like, we talked oh, about the it, offense and how and great they is. are. But, I mean, the, the defense is, is not been great, even though they did get three interceptions in this game. Injuries have not helped that either. We, we have big injuries to um, Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph actually injured himself on that last interception, out for the year now, probably. He's on the IR. DJ Swearinger is coming in to replace him. And then you have LaMarcus Joyer, who's week to week. And yeah. you're going to have to, even though he hasn't been that great, to be honest, he's, he's still been serviceable. And 
yeah, but we're hoping to get him back as soon as possible. As Gruden said today, we have a lot of band-aids right now, but we're going to push through it and we have an easy next two games, but it's never easy with the Oakland Raiders. So I wouldn't be surprised that even if this next game is, is pretty close, but yeah, there's a lot to like about this team, but on the Chargers, you can continue. It's just, all I got to say is it was an ugly game by Philip Rivers and Melvin Gordon, it's great to see that he's back. He went for 100 yards in this game, 108 to be exact, and he got another touchdown. Mike Williams had a huge play, 45-yard catch, and he just, you know, I feel like he's very good. He's not the fantasy darling. He's not going to blow you away with stats, but when you need a big play, you need a guy to just go up and get the ball. Mike Williams is your guy for that. And then Hunter Henry's been probably the most targeted charger over the past month or so since he's been back. I feel like he's been the safety valve for Rivers, and I guess only getting the ball in his hands four times is maybe a reason the Chargers didn't win this game. But I, I got to say, I don't. I, I, we probably said it was a loser-goes-home game at the beginning of this. Uh, maybe in the podcast we said it last week. And maybe we felt it, but in the AFC, I'm not willing to 100% cross off the Chargers yet. But, like, I, I've done it in pencil, is what I'll say. Wow. Because I, like, to if you go back and listen to all the podcasts, I was not high on the Chargers to begin the season. So, I'm not really surprised by this. But then, the, like, there's games against the Packers where they absolutely dominate and they show you, hey, we got that 2018 talent still, still here still here we could get it together for a couple games so i'm not ready to fully cross them out but it's losing this game was it definitely hurts your playoff chances um so on the charger side of things um i gotta say philip rivers like a lot of people are are writing him off saying that like he should he should like retire like his time's over and i don't know if i'm ready to quit on philip rivers well like here's the thing yet. here's the thing nick every anytime an old quarterback has a bad game now that's where we're at in like the media and everything else and all these fans if a bad old quarterback has like one bad game it's time to retire now and it's it's a pretty tired concept at this point like like he hasn't been, rivers, he hasn't been good all season like but he's still he's still definitely not bad like i, I will say that like i don't think he's a bad quarterback at all is it time for the Chargers to maybe think about a quarterback in the future? Of course it is, but it's not time to fully replace him yet. He hasn't, he hasn't played his way out the door yet. Yeah, it's not Eli Manning bad yet. So, no more final points on the Chargers because we can move on to another surprising playoff team, playoff contender in the AFC. Go ahead. The Ryan Tannehill-led Tennessee oh, Titans. Oh, you're just... You're just giving me everything I want to hear right now. It's, <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Who knew you were such a big Ryan Tannehill guy? You know what I feel like? I feel like you do this as a joke, and then once they actually start playing really well, you just you just keep all the best. Okay, okay, okay. I'll be honest with you. Ryan Tannehill was kind of a joke. I'm not gonna lie, but <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater definitely not a joke. I always thought he was nice. Um, 
And there's another QB. Uh, Joe Burrow definitely didn't think that yeah, was a Joe joke Burrow. Either. Joe Burrow is the one I was thinking of. Yeah, no, that wasn't a joke either. I legit, I legit, maybe not like this, this good, like uh, maybe not this crazy, but I did think there was a lot of improvement there. And he, he definitely was, had a case for Heisman early on. Once I saw him against Texas, that's when I, I woke up a little bit. Well, we thought this game, this Chiefs-Titans game, was going to be the story of Patrick Mahomes coming back. And, you know, the Chiefs are finally ready. They, I think Nick Wright said they're not going to lose another game for the rest of the season once Mahomes got back. And to be honest, it's not like an insane take. Like, Mahomes was unbelievable in this game. There was, I think, I can remember one bet, like, missed pass to Tyreek, like, late in the second quarter and he like he kind of overthrew Tyreek but outside of that Mahomes was almost perfect in this game but just surprisingly the Titans offense kept up at every corner you know they're up 10-7 and then the Chiefs turn the ball over with a fumble the the Titans take it back for a touchdown you know the Tyreek kill a touchdown to open up the third quarter then it gets immediately answered with a Derrick Henry 68-yard touchdown. Then a Miko Hardman 63-yard touchdown pass from Holmes. And if we can just divert for a second, how crazy is it that the Chiefs have two players with this almost the exact same speed, which is like insane speed? And with Andy Reid at coaching too, it's it's just it's deadly. Oh, and by the way, Patrick Mahomes to a quarterback who threw 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards last year in his first starting season. I mean, I didn't think that needed to be said, but it That's never all, It's just insane. This offense, this offense is absolutely insane. They have so much speed. And then, of course, Travis Kelsey, too. I always thought this is another diversion here, but they should have got Le'Veon Bell. And I'm happy they didn't as a Jets fan, but man. They got Le'Veon Bell. Whew. This team wouldn't be stopped. This would be a close to six, as close to 16-0 and 0 as you can get, even with this defense. But let's talk about the defense, because the defense really let this game up. The Chiefs offense put up 32 points, and they never had a chance to breathe. You would think by putting up these points, you know, they get a couple field goals. You know, they're pushing the ball. They're taking up time. And their offense just did, their defense, excuse me, just did not help them out at any point in the game. So, I don't know. I'll stop talking now. What did you see from this game? And is the blame more on the Chiefs' defense, or can you just say, you know, the Titans, you know, played well enough to win this game offensively? Well, I think the Titans are playing good football, too. I don't think they should. They're 3-1 they're and one now since Ryan Tannehill has t- taken over, and that's not a coincidence. I think they're genuinely playing good football. But shout-out to Josh Kalou blocking that field goal at the end of the game and it looked offsides at first but when you no offsides there no see when you look at it very closely it looks just so perfectly timed it's so close it's a very close it's a very close i can't say because i haven't seen a definitive angle like it's hard to like see like side by side where he was when the ball was snapped but i my First initial reaction when the ball was snapped, I was like, offsides. He's offsides. And then it's he just so it, but, close. It's just yeah. so close. And, but, yeah, I think that they're just doing a really good job, like, overall, just on the defensive side as well. And the Chiefs now, the Chiefs with, the, with that defense are now 6-4. and four. 
with the Raiders right behind him. Oh, oh stop, stop this. They like you. You're gonna you're gonna act like that's not true. Like the Raiders are one game back from the Chiefs in the AFC West right now, and with the next two games, the Raiders could be seven and four. I'm not gonna write that in stone because it's the Raiders, but. I am sleep on that. Oh, I'm getting over the chart. The Chiefs. Sorry, maybe next time. I mean, listen. When you we have a game, game against right? the Chiefs. We have a game against uh, the Chiefs. We we can't win that. Uh, I mean, you could have went home against them. So, but like this is this is rejuvenated. It. This is a rejuvenated Raiders team. I mean, I get that, but when you look at this Chiefs team. They really dominated this game offensively. And their defense was the one who just let it up in the end. I mean, when you look at the time of possession, they held the ball th- almost 38 minutes compared to the Titans, who had the ball for the 22 minutes. So this Chiefs offense absolutely showed up. It's, And, you know, you got to credit the Titans defense as well, because while they did get lit up, they made the important plays. In that fourth quarter, the, I remember Mahomes went to Tyreek Hill two times in that last drive when they could have got a first down, the game would have been over. Instead, they have to settle for a field goal in which they get a botch snap and then they get an intentional grounding out of it, which ended up being a pretty crazy play. And then, of course, you know, they get the touchdown and then the Chiefs drive down and they hold them to another field goal try. So a lot of credit to this Titans defense for holding in the important moments. But this Chiefs offense looked like they were back. And listen, it's it's a stumble, but I mean, 530 yards in this game and an outstanding performance by Mahomes. The Chiefs are back and they are going to be a force for the rest of the season. I, I can see them have a scenario where they really only lose one or two games on the schedule. Um, I feel you, but you know... Fuck the Chiefs, and we're still gonna beat them. I that's my uh, argument. Good lord, am I that I'm? I've never been so asleep on something than I am the Raiders beating the Chiefs. Like, okay, I'm how about we don't you beat the Chiefs? Um, how about we don't beat them and we just win the AFC West? Um, <laughs> how about you do neither? Because that's that's what's really gonna happen here. I don't know, man. I feel like. Feel like you're sleeping. They they got an outside playoff spot shot, but let's go on to a team, two teams that have realistic playoff shots. the The New York teams, the Jets and the Giants. This is one of the more depressing battles of New York we've ever seen because, like, both teams were terrible. And how about the Jets though? The Jets offense. You know, the Jets offense has played extremely well opening games, which is kind of surprising because, you know, the Jets offense usually never started well and never ended well. But the past three games, they've had a touchdown on the opening drive and they made it two touch two two straight touchdowns. They started off with a 14 nothing lead. And, you know, Sam played great in this game and the defense, Jamal Adams, made a huge play when it when it was needed. Literally picked Daniel Jones' pockets and took it for a touchdown. An unbelievable play. But 
you know, now the Jets are two and seven with a realistic Super Bowl chance. And, hmm? you know, yeah, well, because they have Sam Darnold and he overcame Mono to lead this team back into the playoffs. Did you hear what he said? He said the Jets still have a playoff chance. He also said Adam Gates is the best coach he's ever had. So I think he's accustomed to lying. Wow. So you're calling my quarterback a liar. A little bit. Wow. That is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, what were your thoughts about this game? I know this isn't in the grand scheme of the NFL. It's not really important at all. But hey, this is the two New York teams. It's always fun to see these teams play each other. This was an enjoyable game as a New Yorker, you know, seeing these teams go at it with their QBs of the future on display, and they both played pretty well. And I think this win is definitely encouraging for Jets fans as they just announced Adam Gase will be coming back in 2020. So there's that. And yeah, I think Pat Sherman is also on the hot seat now after taking this loss to a team that's... That's been the joke uh, of the league for, for a few weeks now. And you just, you just got to question what the Giants are going to do go- moving forward. Owner John Mara went, went out of the locker room um, after the game and he just had his head down and didn't address any of the media at all. So he's definitely not in a good mood and... The Giants have a lot of holes, just as many as the Jets do. And these are two teams that need to improve greatly, but this is a good start for the Jets. How about the most shocking part of this game? Because, I mean, this was a pretty back-and-forth game. Both, like, the Jets' secondary got torched. Darius Slayton had an outstanding game. He looked like Terrell Owens out there, just absolutely carving up the Jets' secondary. And, I mean, when you have this depleted Jets' secondary, these are the kind of performances you're going to expect from guys like Darius Slayton who I mean shout out to him he's been actually pretty solid this season but I mean he he, the Jets made him look like an all pro but how about an all pro who didn't look himself Saquon Barkley 13 rushes for one yard I mean I feel like we're both pretty big Saquon guys here and I mean I still am even as a Jeff fan but well, how, how did this happen? What what were the reasons for this? Because, I mean, the Jets' deep run defense is is not particularly a weak unit. But, I mean, Saquon Barkley is one of the best runners in the game. To go for one yard, his, his longest run of the day was three yards. I mean, that's unbelievable. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I do think Saquon Barkley is still a little banged up. I, I'll give credit to the Jets' defense where it's due. They, they, they did a great job on defense all around and, in particular, containing... Saquon Barkley, but I think when like you're talking about Saquon, the the comeback he made was almost superhuman from that from that sprain he um he acquired um over the first few weeks of the season. And the way he came back, I, I just don't think it's good for his health that he keeps putting his body under constant duress. And um he said it after the game, he said that, like, I, I forgot the exact quote, but taking a day off is just, like, not in his vocabulary. And although you love to see that out of a teammate, you love to see that out of a football player in terms of ambition and, you know, aggressiveness and, and all those quality traits, um, you also got to be concerned for the human being and how willing he's 
how willing he is to push himself in a season that doesn't really have any big prospects. And I feel like when the Giants are dealing with him, that's something you really need to take into account with him because if he is still injured in any way, you should really take that time off. It depends, because it, it was a pretty high... They said it was a high ankle sprain, so... I mean, for any normal player, yeah, that should leave you out for a while, but I mean, Saquon worked back for it, from it. And I mean, he's had good games. It's not like this is... I guess he's just getting... It's more wear and tear added. Yeah, it might just original. be catching up to him now. It could be, but I wouldn't necessarily say shut him down. If I mean, if the injury is bad enough, then yeah, you absolutely have to take care of your asset who you picked up second in the draft. But if he's not, you know, if he's at least 80, 70 to 80%, I mean, no football player at this point of the year is at 100%. So... I would say if he's at least healthy enough that where the ankle is stable and it's there's no risk of being hurt again, I say continue to let him play on it as long as he's willing to play on it. And you got to see a little more of him because, I mean, this hasn't been a disappointing year for Saquon, but, I mean, it's disappointing for the Giants who, while they didn't have expectations, 2-8 and eight doesn't seem like the place that we were expecting them to be. I, I thought they'd be a little better than this. You got... I Guys didn't. like Golden Tate on the offense. I mean, two at, and eight though. At the beginning of the year, absolutely. I I thought they would be around this bad. I, I because that's when Eli was still the star starter, and I had no confidence in Eli whatsoever. And even if they went to Daniel Jones, people were joking on the Daniel Jones pick all off season. So I don't know if you could say they anybody had any like big leap of confidence well, in this I'm team going saying- into the season. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying two and eight is is a really bad team. Uh, that's that's a pretty bad record at this point. So I just I didn't expect the Giants to be one of the bottom feeders. I expected them to be like a below average team. But yeah, I mean, now for the second time in four years, the Jets are the kings of New York. That's right, two and seven New York Jets who just lost to the Dolphins, kings of New York football. Beautiful, man. It really is. You you can have that. Oh. Nobody can take that oh. away from you. That listen, that was a Super Bowl. We we're finished now. You know, we could we could bench Le'Veon, let him rest for next year. Sam, if he doesn't want to play, he, he's he's fine. But Chase Young vibes. Listen, if we Joe can get Burrow Chase vibes. Young. Well, well, watch your mouth. <laughs> Definitely watch your mouth. But uh let's get into another team. Who we thought was gonna pick high, pick high in the draft this year, but after this big win, it's probably looking like they're gonna go nine and seven. The Atlanta Falcons. Sleep, absolutely sleep. Okay, obviously tongue in cheek there, but I mean this was a dominant performance against a team I thought was the best in the NFC. I mean, how about this Atlanta Falcons team who got pressure on Drew Brees all day? Alvin Kamara didn't necessarily have a great day running the ball. Only got 24 yards on the ground. There wasn't really any real running game. I mean, I guess the Saints really weren't trying to. They threw the ball 45 times. But I, I was not expecting the Falcons to walk into New Orleans. And I, I, this is the time of year where football is amazing, I feel like. This is the time of the year where just anything is going to happen. Teams are just going to lose stupid games. And this is one of them. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I am with you on that. I don't like to call fluke on many victories, but I consider this victory a well, fluke. I would disagree with you there because the Falcons have a lot of very talented players on this field. Now, they're 1-7, and seven, and they've struggled on so well, many well, different levels this year. But they have a Matt Ryan, who was MVP. They have Julio Jones, who's probably, arguably, the best receiver. I know for me, he's been the best receiver in the league for the past couple of years. Austin Hooper has been outstanding this year. You know, defensively, they at least got Grady Jarrett, who had his best game of the season, getting pressure on Drew Brees with two and a half sacks. So they have a lot of very talented players on this team. It's yeah, just I mean, a matter of mixing it together. On the offensive side of the ball, I agree with you. They have a lot more talent than what they're producing. And honestly, their offense has been producing all season. It's just been the defense that's been holding them back, really. And I think this is a fluke game for the defense of the Atlanta Falcons. They've had to go through a lot. None of those players are returning anytime soon. I'm specifically talking about Keanu Neal, but um, I I just don't see this this defense having sustained performances like this. But who knows? You know, sometimes players step up midway through the season. Sometimes players come through in ways you just don't expect. But I'm gonna write this down as a fluke for now. They're gonna have to prove it to me more. Turn my respect. Well, when the Jets and the Falcons play in the Super Bowl this year, you're gonna you're gonna be sorry that you said all this on the podcast. Like I was sorry I said something about Ryan Tannehill. Like I was sorry about praising Teddy Bridgewater. Well, like wow. I was sorry about praising Joe Burrow week after week. I don't know. Well here's the I thing. gotta bring out the resume. Oh wow, so now you're passing the resume. So I guess I'm going to have to be the, the eye test. You know, people listen to me. They say, hey, I really like what that kid has to say. But you have the resume. So you're trying to get in over me is what you're saying. Pretty much. Unbelievable. But yeah, just ridiculous win by the Falcons. They go on the road and take this game. And I mean, I, I still look at the Saints as the best team in the NFC, even with this loss. Do you, did that change in terms of? The Saints being one of the elite, that didn't change on your end, did it? I think the best overall team in the NFC is the New Orleans Saints, yes. Yeah, so this is just, that's just football. You know what I mean? You're going to have games like this. So another game that was really crazy and just a lot of ups and downs was the Browns versus the Bills. Now, this, (laughs) this Browns team couldn't have gone off to a worse start when... They try and get stopped on seven straight downs of football inside the five-yard line, I want to say. It was at the goal line, around that area. Like, unbelievable start. They really could not punch that ball in, turn the ball over there. The boos are coming in. They didn't really have much goal line success in this game. They didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter, but... I will say that fourth quarter touchdown was a very clutch drive by Baker Mayfield. Jarvis Landry made a great play in the end zone to give them the win pretty much. But this Browns team is now three and six with a pretty easy schedule. And here's why I think this is a little bit of a turning point. 
Now, listen, I'm going to eat my crow. I was wrong about the Browns. I thought they were way talented, and I thought they were going to be a legit playoff contender this year. They are not. But I will say, actually, excuse me, I'm wrong. What I said before, they didn't score the first. They did score a touchdown in the first quarter, but they missed the extra point. So I just mixed it up with the box score. But the Browns were facing pretty much their season being over with that Baker touch pass that looked like it was fumbled and picked up and run into the end zone by the Bills, which would have given them the win. But they overturn it. They ruled that it was a forward pass, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it was, but just the fact that it got overturned. But I think that can kind of be a turning point for the Browns. They can look at that and be like, listen, we almost walked off that field in the most excruciating way possible. That would have been a now 2-7 and seven Browns team who lost off that kind of turnover. I think now they're going into the lighter part of their schedule. I think they're going to finish strong and make a legit run at the playoffs. What do you think? No, I do not think they're going to make a run at the playoffs. But to address what you said about the turning point in the season, it is true that they're going into an easier part of their schedule. But I've seen no change in direction from this team. This team still has the same problems they've had for the past few weeks. And it's really their defense, which has been overshadowed by the blunders of the offense that's really keeping them in these games. And when they're playing better offenses, I think I think I think the Dolphins are actually like a good matchup for them. Wait, do they play the Dolphins or am I just mixing they, they them play up? the Dolphins next week? Yeah, okay. I was I got Wait, scared you're, first. You're saying that's a good matchup in no, terms I, of like I, equal? Or that's just like a good like no, no, get, like, it's an easy win for them. No, it's not an easy win for them at all. I don't think so. Wow. Wow. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick has been low key going off. And if he's able to outproduce Baker, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but that's oh how my God. No, that's how bad Baker's been. Like they haven't been productive offensively at all. Like I wish I could I could not trash on him. I wish I could be the guy who's who could stand up for Baker and be like, you know what? He's playing good football. Who cares what this dude says? Kind of, but like lately he has been playing good football. He hasn't turned the ball over in a couple of games. He's uh, it's been just, pretty conservative with it and they've been getting better results. Not great results, but I mean you could go back to the Broncos game and say, hey, he missed that throw to Odell. He should have no, yeah, no, the shot. He's missing throws. That's the problem. He's missing like clean throws. Like and it just it just comes down to like trying to figure out what these what the issue with the Browns teams with this Browns team is, and I'm not convinced they've been solved. Not after this win, it, it wasn't convincing at all for me. It was against a good team, but I think it was a team that matched up well with them. I think they got a good matchup with the Bills, and I think against teams that put up a little bit more offensive pressure are going to cause them a little bit more problems because that's how it's been all year. But that's the problem. They don't really run into a team like that. Over the I think Ryan Fitzpatrick could actually give them a run for their money. So that, that is who the Browns should be worried about, Ryan Fitzpatrick. They He's been Steelers good. He's been Thursday. good. What do you mean? What do you mean? But, like, come on now. Like, he doesn't even have Preston Williams anymore. They're without their best target. They, they beat the Colts, and we'll get into that game right after this. Because the Colts had a third, Brian Hoyer, a backup quarterback, who threw three interceptions. 
I'm not like let's just slow down. I know the Browns have have been way under expectations this year, but I don't think they're gonna get beat up by the Dolphins. Cause guess what? You said offensive pressure, right? Here are their games: Steelers next week, and the Steelers, while their defense has been playing outstanding, yeah, no, that's gonna offense, be an interesting game. That's their be offense hasn't really been on the same level. Then you got the Dolphins. I I guess you're you're all in on Ryan Fitzpatrick taking them. I'm down. not all in. I'm just saying he's been playing good, and I think. I would take Ryan Fitzpatrick over Mason Rudolph and Baker right now. Right now. Ooh. Right now. Oh, yeah. that one hurt. That one. That take hurt. That hurt the chest. Like right now, yes. Future, okay. Maybe. Let's just get through this. Dolphins. After the Dolphins, they play the Steelers again, and realistically, they probably split with the Steelers. But then they get the Bengals twice. And they sandwich those two games with games at the Cardinals and the Ravens. So the Cardinals and the Ravens are going to be tests because they both have very good offenses. But I think the Browns offense is slowly but surely rounding into form because Baker has like he's been pretty accurate with the ball, too. He hasn't he's obviously missed some throws, but in terms of percentage wise over the past three games, he's been way better than he has in before the bye. He only had that one interception against New England, and outside of that, he's been pretty good with the ball, and he's, I, I think he's improving as the season's going on. This Thursday night game is going to be the biggest test for them. If they can get past the Steelers with some confidence, then you get the Dolphins, and if you're 5-6 and six going at the Steelers, there's a lot of confidence in Cleveland, and maybe that talent finally pieces everything together. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs. But I'm saying we're going to talk about them in week 15, 16 as a team that's on the outside edge with a shot at getting in there. I'm not seeing it, but maybe you're right. Well, let's move on. to I, get, I, I didn't know we had such a big Dolphins fan on this spot because, I mean, there's not much to say about this game, so we'll go quickly. What I want to say, Dolphins beat the Colts 16-12, and... You can blame maybe Brian Hoyer, Adam Vinatieri for the Colts. Those are the guys who should have done their job better and they would have beat the Dolphins. But I love how everyone's saying, you know, the Dolphins don't uh, don't want to win. And granted, their front office probably does not want to win with the moves they made. But like, you know, I feel like it's, it's kind of stupid to say because it's almost just like, like, everyone should know this. Like, if you play sports, like, you want to win. If you're on the field, you want to win. If you're coaching for a game, you want to win. So, there is fight in this Dolphins team. And I think everyone just putting them down, telling them how bad they were, is going to lead to a couple more wins for this Dolphins team. And then you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who does this. He'll, he'll get you some random wins out of here. So, it's kind of fun to watch the Dolphins. I'm not going to lie. I actually kind of have fun watching the Dolphins. And it's, they're going to be the so that'll be even more fun. But nah, I'm playing um, <laughs> um the Colts. Um obviously when Jacoby Brissett gets back, um, they're gonna fare a lot better. You could see the difference in this game. And this is actually a big loss for them because now the Steelers are in the in the sixth wildcard spot that they would have if maybe Jacoby Brissett plays and he wins this game for them. And as well, the Raiders are ahead of them because they have the head-to-head win over the Colts. So, yeah, a costly win for the Colts, but 
with Jacoby Brissett back, we're probably going to see them at the level we expect from them. So connecting another to another AFC playoff team, the Steelers, who finally slot into the sixth playoff spot after starting one and four, roll off four straight victories. Now they're five and four. Defense has been playing very, very well. The Minka Fitzpatrick trade has been almost unbelievable at this point, where it seems like he's getting a pick six or touchdown every week now. He gets a fumble return in this game, brings it back 43 yards. And they just they smothered this Rams offense, which is the offense that went to the Super Bowl. And, I mean, it's really shocking to see how the Rams have... I, I didn't want to like have a like a hot take saying like they've fallen off, they regressed a little bit, but they have. If you like, clearly they have. I'm pretty sure they've already they already have the same amount of losses they did last year, and the offense just doesn't move with the same fluidity. And I guess the main reason is the offensive line not being the same. You lose too many guys to injury, free agency, and. Now they're stuck with a depleted line. And I will say Todd Gurley had a pretty solid game. He went for 73 yards on just 12 carries. So if they had gotten him the ball a little bit more, he probably would have turned this into an 100-yard game. But, you know, how does Cooper Cup end up with zero points? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I said zero points because I, I played against him in fantasy this week and he got zero points, but he also got zero catches this week for no yards. But he did get four targets, and he, he dropped a couple. He got overthrown on a couple. It's just this Rams offense just does not look the same. What do you think? Also, with Brandon Cooks out, there's more of a spotlight on him. So he's probably getting, and, and with his performance throughout the season, he's bound to attract attention. So that's definitely a factor. But, man, I remember when I said that Jared Goff was an MVP candidate on this podcast. And now, now it just seems like a crazy thought because this guy was so good last season, but for some reason, he just doesn't look as sharp and he, he's turning the ball over and he's just making very, very bad mistakes all around. And definitely Todd Gurley also has to do with this too, because as his as the Rams become more wary of his of his knee, he's gonna get less involved, and less Todd Gurley is gonna result in less success offensively because he was one of the best player, one of the best running backs in the league. Could st- could argue he still is, and when you take that production away, that just that just takes away dimensions from your game. That are very hard to replace. I think the biggest reason for Goff's inability to perform at the level he did last year is the offensive line. And I hate to always bring it back to that, but he got sacked four times in this game. And he just looked uncomfortable in the pocket all night. So I think the Rams went a very risky way in building their team. They have skill position guys, uh, like an, uh, an unbelievable amount. They got Goff, Gurley. On the receiving side, you got, well, they didn't pay a couple lot of money, but they did pay a solid amount to Robert Woods. And then, of course, Brandon Cooks with a big deal. Then on the defensive side, you got Aaron Donald, of course, making big money. Jalen Ramsey is going to soon to make a lot of money. 
so I feel like they have a lot of money locked up to guys who were on the outside of the bowl, with the exception of Aaron Donald. And the interior is, is taking a hit out of this. And the offensive line is what's going to keep Goff and this offense successful in the future. So they're going to really have to hit all their draft picks out of their park. But then guess what? They don't really have draft picks anymore because they trade a lot of them for Ramsey, for Cooks. So the Rams, you got to give them credit for being aggressive. But it's looking like the aggressiveness might not pay off this season. Listen, they're not out of it by any means. Still five and four. They're still a good team. And like they were a Greg the Leg missed field goal away from beating the Seahawks on the road. So they could easily be six and three. But the offense does not look the same. And we've seen that in a couple of games this season. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they finish the season. Now, going into another game. Just it was so great to see a snow game back. On my TV. I was just about to say the same thing. It just felt so good. So good seeing snow. I, it's, it's always great, especially in Lambeau, too. This game really... I didn't expect it to be this good, to be honest. I, I'm not crazy. I know McCaffrey's an MVP candidate and all that. But the rest of the Panthers don't really scare me, to be honest. I think Kyle really? Allen... I think Kyle Allen had played well. But then I saw him against the 49ers, and then I was like, you know what? I don't really trust him against high-end competition. And then he comes into Lambeau and was absolutely slinging it. 307 yards, was efficient when he had to be. In the fourth quarter, they got drives, and they were down by two touchdowns late in the second half. And they get a touchdown early in the fourth quarter, and they end up at the one-yard line to end the game. So... The Panthers really exceeded expectations. And the Packers, seems like a game as usual for them. They kind of start off hot or in the middle, they go on a nice run. And then they kind of just let it up in the end. And it's kind of just, you know, are we going to hold on? Or are we going to blow it? Or are we going to have to make a or big play on offense? Or the refs going to bail us out, you know? Wow. That was aggressive right there. But it was a good point, though, because it happened against the Lions. But... And you know, the, the last play in this game was extremely close. Extremely close. It was, I mean, so what I was thinking, this is such a little nitpick thing, but should they have ran the ball on the first play instead of waiting for the last play of the game? Because, I mean, you can argue, I think there was like, I mean, no, they probably wouldn't have been able to get a second playoff, but I feel like they were all out for the pass on the first play. And the second play, I guess they were a little bit more wary of a run because they were a little bit, they were just so close, but I don't know. Having Christian McCaffrey in this situation, it's it's just so tough because you want to get the ball in his hands, but this is kind of a passing situation. I know you're so close. But, but it's also McCa- the snow, and it's tougher because you could mm-hmm. see on the last drive, Kyle Allen was having some trouble getting some, some real power behind that ball, and but he didn't need that much power. He was at the one, two, one yard line. You know, he was inside. I know, but like it, it slips and you lose uh-huh. the game. Like you know, and it was slipping out of his hands pretty, pretty bad. But he was getting completions, and that's all that matters. But this Panthers team, I really like this Panthers team. Actually, I think DJ Moore is extremely underrated. He has been doing a fantastic job this year, and Curtis Samuel too. This receiving core 
has really helped out Kyle Allen. They've been really consistent all year. And obviously Christian McCaffrey. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they've been very consistent. Just a very solid unit overall. I think the Panthers, the best way I can describe them, are just a solid team all around. Well, someone you forgot on the offensive side. How about Greg Olson? On just that last drive alone, just coming yep. down, catch it, big catch, plays. The catch, made all the big plays. I think he came into the last drive with like three catches or something like that, and then he ends the game with eight for ninety-eight, and he was fantastic on that last drive. So it was good seeing him back out there. And yeah, this Packers team, I, I'm not, I'm just very confused about this team because I think they're really good, but they're always, they always seem to let up at some point in these games. There's. This defense is is worrying me a little bit. It's obviously a step off, a step I mean step up from previous years, but they're like slowly transforming back into that old like Packers mold of like letting Aaron Rodgers do all the work and then like try basically trying to give games away through just like sloppy play and like I said I still think it's it's overall just a better unit and better play. From previous years but like just the way these games are turning out is a little worrying to me well that run defense is the biggest problem and i feel it's been a problem for them all year there have been you know the eagles i remember ran all over them jordan howard had a great game miles sanders that combo killed them uh they had did dalvin cook yeah dalvin cook ate them up too they have a really big problem stopping the run and you know you get into the playoffs, that's all the 49ers do is run the ball. The Saints have Alvin Kamara, the Cowboys have Zeke, Vikings have Dalvin Cook, Panthers have McCaffrey. So <laughs> that's I think that worries me a lot about them going into the playoffs, just the fact that the NFC has such a special tan- uh, core of running backs in the conference, and their biggest weakness is stopping the run. So that that's what worries about me about the Packers. But then at the end of the day, they can also run the ball extremely well themselves. How about Aaron Jones? Three touchdowns in this game. And yeah, then of course they've been great. You- and Matt LaFleur has been doing an incredible job incorporating him into the pass game and getting him involved with um Aaron Rodgers' lack of receiving threats. He's he's been one of the biggest ones all season. And you have Aaron Rodgers at the end of the day. Aaron Rodgers didn't need to do a lot in this game. He didn't have a touchdown in this game. But they're going to need him later in the season. And I feel like that's when that's when Rodgers gets, is at his best. So it's going to be fun to see him back in the playoffs. Like, think about it. It's 2016, last time we saw him in the playoffs. 2017, technically, when we actually saw it. But, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen Rodgers doing his thing in the playoffs then. It's looking like this is going to be the year. And possibly with home field advantage, too. 8-2. and two. It's looking like they could they have a chance at that number one seed now. So, it'll be interesting. Yep. Now, on to our final two games. The Sunday night and the Monday night game. And we got blessed with some really good football on these primetime games. First, the Vikings and the Cowboys. The Vikings hold off a late drive from the Cowboys to win 28-24. And this was a back-and-forth game. First quarter, the Vikings went off. 14-0 lead. Second quarter, the Cowboys respond. 14-14. Vikings end up with a field goal to make it 17-14 to go into the half. Then it just goes back and forth. Vikings field goal. Cowboys touchdown. Vikings touchdown. Cowboys field goal. But then the Cowboys are driving. 
my biggest takeaway from this game, Dak Prescott was unbelievable. This guy was making all the right throws. He goes to 397 yards, three touchdowns. And he, what worries me so much about this Cowboys team is, can I trust the coaches? And I, I, I thought I could get passes because, you know, everyone's always going to make fun of Jason Garrett. But I actually think he is a pretty solid coach. But how can I defend watching Dak Prescott for that entire game and then watching them take the ball out of his hands for second and third down? on that that go-ahead drive where they could have won the game. How can I defend that? I really can't. So that worries me, but Dak was unbelievable. Zeke wasn't good. Zeke had a really rough game, but to be fair, the Vikings really stacked up the box and made sure that Zeke was not going to be the guy winning this game for them. And they stopped him on second and third down in the that final drive, and that was the turning point of the game. If you know you keep the ball in Dak's hands there, I'm not saying it's automatic touchdown, but, you know, with the way he was throwing it, I, I wouldn't have been surprised in the slightest. So uh, what are your takeaways from this game? Um, well, first of all, I think that good on you for bringing up the coaching. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. But let's also talk about another solid QB performance while we're at it. Ooh. Um, little Kirk Cousins. Yeah, a little Kirk talk. Why not? Because, you know, the longest standing knock on Kirk Cousins was he doesn't perform well in primetime games. And I feel like now that he's done so in this game, he had a very solid performance. 23 of 32, 220 yards, a little short on the yardage side, but that's okay. Two touchdowns, zero ints. He played a very solid game. And did what he needed to do in order to to get the W. So I feel like it's been swept under the rug a little bit now that he finally won a primetime game. I, I feel like nobody's talking about it that much. Am I have I missed something? Like No Is it he time played, we should he no, he played well, but I will say that fourth quarter. A little weird in that fourth quarter. Because he had two three and outs when they really needed to kind of put their foot on the gas and win that game. They went three and out. And they didn't even get positive VR. Well, I mean, to be fair, the last drive was they had, it was after the Cowboys had turned over on downs. And, you know, they're just trying to make the Cowboys use their timeouts and run down the clock as much as they can. So, to be fair, I'll give them that drive. But in the fourth quarter, they don't score a point, And they, that's three punt, punts was the result of all three of their drives. So not to take away from what Kirk did, because I, I agree with you. He played a really solid game for the most part, but when they needed him to really end it, take away any life the Cowboys could get, he didn't do it. That's a good point. But I feel like, you know, you got to look at the body of work. He got off to a hot start and he put his team in a position to win and that's what matters in these games down the stretch against tough teams so yeah i guess that's it i guess that's all i have so what i want to say to you i i, I guess we should talk well we'll just finish up with the Seahawks Niners but in terms of the NFC playoff race are we like looking at the six teams I mean, I guess you can interchange the Cowboys and the Eagles because that division's up for grabs, right? But the Vikings and Seahawks 
are they like locked into a playoff spot? And I mean, the Seahawks can easily win the NFC West. So then that could be the Niners in there. Can you see a team like the Rams, Panthers, or even the Eagles taking a wild card spot? Or have these teams, the Vikings, Seahawks, and of course the Niners, have they clearly established themselves as, hey, we're playoff teams this year. No one else is taking our spot from us. Um, the Rams are still dangerous to me. Obviously, they're shaky, so I'm less confident in them. But like I said before, I think the Panthers are playing really solid football. Christian McCaffrey and all of the other we- weapons we've mentioned in- when talking about the um Packers-Panthers game. They've really stepped up and got behind Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen has done a great job himself filling in some big shoes. And yeah, I just like the the overall makeup of this team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers could sneak in over the Vikings, but you know, it it's it's still tough. There's so a lot of those of three teams. You would say the Vikings are more likely to fall out of the playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, let's just get into it now. It looks like the Seahawks and Niners are stuck in there because. What a game we saw on Monday night. And I saw a lot of people gassing this up really heavily, like trying to compare it to maybe even like the the Chiefs-Rams from last year, some like really classic games. And I thought it was a very, very, it, probably game of the year candidate. It's one or two or three. It's up there, but I didn't think it was that crazy. No, but it's crazy. It is pretty crazy. I, I got to give it to it. It was crazy when the Niners defense just took over this game. And you go down 21-10 and, you know, it's looking like the offense is giving up this game for you. You know, Jimmy G's turning the ball over. We're having huge drops by this Niners team. And it's looking like, you know, this, this offense is going to lose you the game. But then you get this fumble return, fumble recovery. And you're right back in the game. And the, the stadium got lit up. They completely energized. It went from 21-10 to 21-18, just like that. And then it just went back and forth, the little field goal battle. This is, that's the craziest part. This is, there was all field goals after that. There was no touchdown scored after that fumble return for a touchdown. But, but Russell no. Wilson, unbelievable. Clutch when he needed to be. Jimmy G, ah. He wasn't great, but I wouldn't go as far to say he was like bad or anything because there were some really bad drops. Debo Samuel had a pretty big one. A couple other guys weren't coming down. He didn't have George Kittle or, and lost Emmanuel Sanders pretty early in this game. So I'm not willing to put it all on Jimmy G, but I will say that last drive where they went to tie the game, he was very erratic with the ball. And Credit to Kyle Shanahan because Jimmy G was not completing passes down the field. So what do they do? They go to the short passing game and they really opened up the, the field and some dink and dunk stuff. It led them into field goal range. They went quickly and they got the ball out quickly and a lot of passes to the running backs, Tevin Coleman. And just like that, they got into field goal range to tie the game and send it to overtime. But at the end of the day, their offense just wasn't good enough to take down. And it's, it's maybe it's a little unfair to say that because they got in position to win the game in overtime. But I just felt like this offense was a, almost kind of a glaring weakness in this game. What do you think? I mean, 
the things that really made this this game game of the year or like so far you know you never know when a game might top this but it was just like the unexpectedness of some of the things that happened like you had Chase Chase McLaughlin coming in for Robbie Gold out, out of nowhere and he's hitting big field goals after big field goals until you know the the miss that really mattered in overtime but it's it's just that that made it so so special because he was hitting big field goals throughout this game and you're like okay he's going up for another big field i i thought he was going to miss the last one i kind of called it but like you're you're in this game now you're you're watching this game with the predisposition that this guy's going to hit this field goal because he's been hitting them all game long from from this range so that that was exciting and when Russ threw that in in overtime i was like oh my god that's his second in of the year you know it's things like that like things that you really do not expect out of this game that really rewarded you for watching it all the way through and other things that stood out to me this 49ers team is legit against the potential MVP of this league they did a really good job of containing him for the most part even though towards the end of the game he just caught fire um Russ is the MVP front runner Boger McFarland said it at the end of the game so you know it, it it's it's a fact it's a good point <laughs> and yeah i this game had a little bit of something everywhere and it was just overall a joy to watch and i i come out of this game thinking that both of these teams are going to be contenders in the playoffs. It, this game really didn't lessen my opinion of either of them. Maybe Jimmy G a little bit because of some of the things you mentioned. But besides that, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much high on both of these teams. To, first of all, for this 49ers defense, I just want to talk about a little bit. First of all, that interception by Dre Greenlaw. What a play by him. He really, like, got up there. Like, don't be me wrong, it was underthrown by Russ, but, I mean, this guy fully extended and got to that ball and then had the wherewithal to get 47 yards out of it. And that realistically should have been the end of the game, but, of course, the missed field goal showed that it wasn't. Other players, Fred Warner, on that uh, the, the fumble recovery for a touchdown, Fred Warner... First of all, it was a Russell Wilson sack that he kind of just, the ball just kind of got like lost. I don't even know how. The best is when Pete Carroll, you could see him audibly saying, just like, how did that happen? And he's just like so nonchalant about it. It's amazing. But it ends up in an offensive lineman's hand, and Fred Warner just punches this ball out, just goes straight for the ball. And, I mean, you can't blame the offensive lineman. Like, he's, he's not really a carrier. And, but Warner makes an unbelievable play on the ball, which leads to a touchdown. And then you got a guy like Nick Boza, you know, Richard Sherman made some big plays. This 49ers defense is just scary. They have first round picks all over the defensive line. DeForest Buckner had a very solid game. Two fumble recoveries, and he gets the touchdown, of course. And this this defense is scary. Now, I don't know if the offense is, I'm not saying it's like going to hinder them, but they definitely need to be healthy. They need Kittle and Sanders there because without those two guys, it's really tough for them to make plays. And 
look at these teams in the playoffs that you're going to get to. You're going to play Russ again. And it's going to be hard to go blow for blow with him. Guys like Aaron Rodgers. You know, Dalvin Cook in the Vikings running game. You know, there's so many offenses that they have to be aware of. But at the same time, their defense kind of takes care of it. You know, Russell Wilson, possible MVP of the league, really didn't have his best stuff in this game. And I think that's credit to the Niners defense. Yeah, I agree. Like I said. So, it's re- this NFC playoff picture is absolutely loaded. As good as all these teams are, I, I think we both agree the Saints are the best, but I don't think it's by a wide margin at all. I can see no, one I wouldn't through say six. That, yeah. I can literally see one through six, all those six teams making the Super Bowl. And I wouldn't be surprised. Because yeah, I there agree. is just ridiculous amount of talent in that conference. Wait, you're saying the Raiders couldn't make the Super Bowl if they if they made the playoffs? That's that's crazy. Well, they can't because the Jets couldn't will have squeaked in by week seventeen. Bye. So we can have a couple of different scenarios where we uh, it'll be the same scenario in which Michigan makes the college football playoff. It's just going to be oh, a, a pretty a pretty sick ending to the season. So. I think that's all the energy we got for this podcast. But what do you think? You got any other ridiculous hot ta- hot Minnesota takes to make? I mean, they they weren't hot at all. Those are those are very reasonable scenarios. But yeah, I, I got none left. Well, we thank you guys for listening to this podcast. We are getting into just a ridiculous stretch of football. We're going to bring some basketball back for our next podcast. We see the NBA. We've been keeping up with it, but we wanted to let like a month go by so we can, you know, fully gather up some takes. And for the next podcast, we'll definitely talk some NBA. Definitely keep an eye out for our next then podcast. Should be coming in the next couple weeks. We're working on it. And it's going to be a good one. Definitely going to be one of the more interesting games of the decade. Probably one of the craziest games of the decade. But for now, we will catch you guys next time. Peace.